One of the things that I find very striking about Lincoln that I absolutely endorse from a Christian perspective is that Lincoln consistently is extending a degree of charity to his enemy that is just almost impossible for us to imagine today. great to have you with us now for First Person, a weekly conversation with a guest who's been called and equipped by God to serve Christ in a unique way. This week, we turn our attention to history as we talk with historian Dr. Tracy McKenzie about Abraham Lincoln. We'll get started with the conversation in just a moment. Along with our webpage, firstpersoninterview.com, I invite you to like our Facebook page as well. It's facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. There you can interact with other listeners and leave your comments on what you hear on this program. Once again, we're found on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, with President's Day coming soon, our conversation now centers on what we can learn as Christians from the life of Abraham Lincoln. Dr. Tracy McKenzie is professor and chair of the History Department at Wheaton College and has committed his life to the study of the intersection of Christian faith and American history. We'll talk about his recent study of Lincoln, but as the conversation begins, I asked Dr. McKenzie to talk about his love for American history. I do love history, but I think I would go farther than that. I I really love uh, to teach. Uh, So an important part of my vocation is, is that of a teacher. And in particular, I think I would define my own sense of vocation as a, just a deep hunger, deep desire to be in conversation with Christians about the intersection, as I would put it, the intersection between the life of the mind, the love of God, and the study of the past. Mm-hmm. That's really where I want to sort of camp out. Mm-hmm. I've noticed in your blog you use the word Christianly. Thinking Christianly. Talk to yes. me about use of that term. Well, first of all, it's an awful adverb. <laughs> it doesn't roll, doesn't roll off the tongue, but I haven't found anything that really captures exactly what, uh, what I have in mind better than that. I, I take the term from Harry Blamiris, who was a student of C.S. Lewis, who wrote in the uh, middle decades of the 20th century from England. He wrote a book called The Christian Mind mm-hmm. that deeply impressed me when I first came across it uh, years ago. So when I think of um, thinking Christianly, I really think about, in the most self-conscious way, bringing a scriptural perspective and scriptural insight to bear on whatever aspect of um, uh, our human condition uh, we're focused yeah. on at the moment. Yeah. Let me go back to calling for a moment. I find it fascinating to hear how, how God works in people's hearts and minds and uh, towards their sense of calling to something. And um, in your own case, I know that you were first, uh, of course, uh, teaching at University of Washington, a secular school, we'll call it, Mm -hmm. and now teaching at a Christian school, Wheaton. But in both cases, you felt called to those assignments. Well, I I did. When I was um, uh, actually a a senior in college, I was thinking about, uh, as many uh, young adults are, you know, what am I going to do uh, as I move forward from this point? And, and I had this deep desire to be in a, a situation where I might make a difference um, uh, in people's lives. And uh, a member of my church actually brought me a book uh, on Christian discipleship that had been authored by a political scientist at Clemson University. And this particular uh, scholar was sharing these anecdotes of these um, really uh, life-transforming conserva- uh, conversations that he was entering into with young people on college campuses. And I thought at the time, that's it. That's <laughs> what I want mm-hmm. uh, to be involved in. And at that time in my life, uh, I had no experience in any capacity 
uh, with Christian education. Uh, and I would have to say for years after going to the University of Washington, I did not think very much about Christian education. If there was a turning point, it was when our first children were born. Okay. And at that point, I uh, began to think about um, uh, the way in which um, my faith uh, and a vision for the formation of character and spiritual development of my children uh, entered into um, the way that we would educate them. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take long before I was mm-hmm. applying that not simply to our children, but to uh, my life's work working with yeah. uh, college age. So it was students. an undeniable call. I, I think. Yeah, uh, I can identify that. Uh, I, my, my call first was to radio when I was in college. I loved radio. Secondarily, then, it was to Christian radio. At first, mm-hmm. I said, no way. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the Lord made it clear that that's what I was supposed to do. So I think I understand that. Your blog is Faith and History. Tell me about the purpose of your Yeah, blog. Faith and American History, uh, exact, uh, to be more precise, that's what I focus on. Uh, I began blogging about um, a little over three years ago. And it was, in many respects, uh, an expression of this sense of calling that I had. I wanted to be in conversation, not with just other Christian academics. I really want to be in conversation with Christians uh, who are outside the academy, who are lifelong learners, who think history is important, and really want to, to delve into it from a Christian perspective. And I saw the blog as one way to sort of break through those boundaries of the academy Mm -hmm. and maybe build bridges to a different Mm -hmm. audience. Well, we're going to put uh, the address to your blog on our webpage, firstpersoninterview.com. But I feel privileged today because we're getting kind of the scoop on even your own blog here to talk about your study of uh, the life of Abraham Lincoln and some thoughts about Lincoln and American history and faith. And uh, I'd like to talk about that for a few minutes if that's okay. We've got President's Day coming up in the next week or so. So let's talk about Lincoln. I mean, so much has been said. I, I've uh, spent a little bit of time in the Lincoln Bookshop in Chicago, and you walk into that bookstore, and it's nothing but Abraham Lincoln and books about presidents in there, and there's so much written about Lincoln. I mean, what what can you hope to to think and talk about Lincoln these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, you're, you're right when you say, Wayne, that um, uh, a great deal, a great deal of attention has been given uh, to Lincoln. And one historian has said no one's been written more about in the English language than Abraham Lincoln, uh, except for Jesus Christ and uh, William Shakespeare. You know, I just thought of this, but when you go into the Ford Museum in uh, Washington, D.C., the uh, place, of course, where he was assassinated, across the street is a little museum, and they have a tower of books mm. all about Lincoln. I mean, it's thousands of books in that tower. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, American fascination with Lincoln began really, I think, almost immediately after his assassination. And it really isn't showing much sign of uh, losing steam. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even uh, now, the uh, anniversary of his uh, birth, uh, 200th anniversary of his birth came in 2009. Obviously, the sesquicentennial of the Civil War we've just completed, Mm -hmm. and that's just sort of re-energized popular interest in Lincoln. Well, let's talk about it. What, What are you learning about Lincoln uh, shall, we t- shall we start with democracy? What are you learning about democracy? Well, I, I think the first thing I would say, uh, Wayne, is I think um, you know Lincoln, in, in many respects, was a product of his age. Uh, and when it comes to uh, democracy, he he came to adulthood at a time when Americans were sort of. Uh, in a very new way, embracing democracy, almost a unique way, embracing democracy among the nations of the world. Uh, and Lincoln very self-consciously uh, thought of um, uh, one of his life's passions as a kind of perpetuation of that American experiment in democracy. Having said that, I don't think Lincoln always 
uh, thought um, about democracy in ways that Christians would would want to accept uncritically. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes close at times in his life, at least, to more or less equating uh, the voice of the people with the voice of God. He wouldn't use that language, but he did effectively believe that uh, the uh, ability of the people to rule themselves was ultimately the greatest hope for mankind. Yeah, he had a lot of faith in people, didn't he? Great deal of faith. Mm -hmm. And yet God put him in office during the most difficult time in American history. Uh, I think an unequaled crisis without, um, without question. Uh, and when that crisis began to unfold, I, I like to tell my students the Civil War, if it was anything, was a crisis of democracy. And certainly Lincoln presented it that way. I uh, believe that if the um, uh, Confederate states uh, accomplished their goal, that it would send a message to the world that uh, human beings really weren't capable of self-government. It has often been pointed out, at least at the beginning of that war, it was not about uh, slavery. In a way, uh, it was about maintaining the integrity of the union. That's exactly true. I, the, the way I would put it to my students is that the, the war, I think, was entirely um, fueled by controversies over slavery. But that's not the same thing as saying that individuals were motivated ultimately to risk their lives, uh, to uh, take up uh, weapons. Uh, I think you're exactly right. The preeminent issue there was mm-hmm. the issue of union. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're wrong in in uh, in nominating Abraham Lincoln into our Hall of Faith fame? <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe I do know what you mean. I, I think if I could share my own view, I think Lincoln is in many ways an admirable character. I would draw the line at readily agreeing that he had what, from an Orthodox Christian perspective, we would call saving faith. Even for his day. Even for his day, I think uh, the, the best studies of Lincoln's uh, religion would suggest that while he, in many respects, had a deep and abiding respect for Scripture, he probably knew Scripture as well or better than most of his generation. He was probably part of um, his early reading was, it was, was it the was, Bible, right? It was actually probably the, the, the single book that he'd read the most. Uh, in fact, historians suggest that just the, the cadence of the language, the rhythm of that King James uh, prose uh, shaped his, his own uh, speaking and writing patterns. But having said all that, uh, it's hard to find compelling evidence to suggest that Lincoln believed uh, in a personal savior, uh, that he ever saw himself uh, as saved by God's grace through Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. As an example of that in terms of the crises he faced? I mean, he always he talked about God and God's leading and God's hand, right? Definitely. Uh, over time, uh, Lincoln certainly evolves uh, in his adult life. Um, one of the first speeches that he gave in his late 20s, um, he actually uh, is, is suggesting what would be thought of as a pretty skeptical understanding at the time. And in fact, his law partner later uh, would would write that Lincoln had even written a pamphlet in which he seemed to be questioning the existence of God and talked about uh, free thinking. Free thinking in the terminology of the 19th century usually was a synonym for religious skepticism. Mm-hmm. But clearly over time, uh, he moves toward um, a theistic understanding. No one would question that. Yeah, you wonder if that wasn't because of the pressure he faced. 
Well, uh, a variety of things. Historians have sometimes pointed to the personal tragedy that he experienced. He lost a, a child in the 1850s, the age of three. He loses another child during the Civil War. Uh, which was uh, just heart-wrenching uh, to Lincoln. But then certainly um, the, the magnitude of the crisis that he uh, experienced um, pointed him toward asking questions about uh, is there some larger meaning in this? Is there any uh, divine design in this uh, just colossal uh, trial? More lessons from the life of Abraham Lincoln for our Christian faith today coming up on First Person. Our partner in bringing you these weekly interviews is the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC broadcasts in nearly 50 countries of the world, always in the local language, while teaching God's Word. Many dedicated broadcasters in each country are giving their lives to share the gospel message and its declaration of hope and salvation through Christ. To learn more about FEBC and its unique ministry broadcasting in often hard-to-reach places, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and click on the FEBC banner. My guest today is Tracy McKenzie, who is chair of the History Department at Wheaton College, professor at Wheaton College. We're talking about uh, history today and specifically uh, Abraham Lincoln as we approach President's Day and the observance in American life. And I'm very grateful to have you here, Tracy. Thank you for coming to the studio. Uh, Your blog is Faith in American History, and we'll put a link to that blog on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Just getting right down to the the nitty-gritty here, what is the value of studying a life like Lincoln and the past and and what – for the lives that we lead today, what what are the lessons? I think there are many reasons uh, that we want to to study the past. Wayne, I I tell my students that an appreciation of history starts as an expression of humility. Um, I mean one of the things that – uh, we we learn from Scripture is that our lives are short. Uh, the analogies to you know uh, breath and vapor and smoke, mm-hmm. uh, and we need uh, a kind of perspective um, uh, on our lives, on the challenges that we face, on the moral questions that we'll confront, that our own very limited, brief sojourns on Earth just aren't sufficient to. Yeah. So it starts there. So it's not all about us. It's Absolutely. about those who have gone before. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We see ourselves as one uh, in a very long succession of generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, with that posture of humility, we're open to the possibility that there are people who have gone before us who actually have something that we need to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, C.S. Lewis contrasted that uh, posture of humility to what he called chronological snobbery. And he said that that's what most of us really uh, succumb to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know as you've looked at the life of Lincoln, you've looked at his views on democracy and patriotism and divine sovereignty. We touched on sovereignty. I want to come back to that in a moment. But talk about patriotism and Lincoln. Well, you know, one of the things that Lincoln does uh, is he perfects a language uh, that um, venerates the, the nation uh, in a way that can be very inspirational to us. But as Christians, we want to be just be careful about um, and remember to think Christianly uh, mm-hmm. about. The classic example of that uh, would be in his Gettysburg Address. I was just going to ask you about that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we venerate it. I can remember memorizing it in school. <laughs> uh, it's 
clearly a I chiseled won't ask you to marble. Recite it here. No, I won't. I won't do that right now. <laughs> uh, but but if you look, if you go back and look at the words of the the Gettysburg Address, there's things that he is saying that is really beginning to uh, impute characteristics to the nation that we as Christians would say more appropriately beyond, belong uh, to the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in talking about the war itself, he talks about those individuals who give their lives on the field of battle uh, as consecrating that. Uh, space. Uh, and I understand that that's figurative, but I think we need to be very careful uh, when we use language that seems to be suggesting that our particular human efforts can make a particular cause sacred, mm-hmm. which is what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Christians, we want to be very thankful uh, for the blessings that God gives us through our country. Um, we do not want to begin to confuse our nation with uh, the Church of Jesus Christ. Interesting. Yeah. Which uh, is a danger today that we need to guard against, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- ab- absolutely. Uh, and so I-, I think there's a there's a timelessness in that respect to Lincoln's example. Uh, the-, the Gettysburg Address again. Spend a little time with it. He's he's really he's giving us what I consider is a kind of story of redemption. Uh, there's a creation story uh, in the beginning. The founding fathers brought forth the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a moment of uh, of a fall. Uh, the Constitution itself doesn't create a, uh, a new nation that's totally pure. Uh, it's been tainted by slavery. Uh, and those heroes and martyrs uh, in the American Civil War are cleansing and redeeming uh, and giving a new birth to the nation. Yeah. Uh, having said that, of course, it is just a great piece of literature, though. There's no question about that. No question. And, and such a brief— Rhetorical masterpiece. Yeah. What, was it written uh, on the train? No, uh, that's, a, that's, that, that's a myth. Okay. That's, tell me. Tell me. Uh, correct well, me on that. Uh, yeah. His, historians would say in, in terms of um, Lincoln, uh, he absolutely, absolutely was uncomfortable uh, with extemporaneous speaking. Uh, he labored very carefully uh, over uh, his public uh, statements. Uh, would uh, ruminate over particular passages, would edit and re-edit over and over again. So the the, the myth of writing it was uncharacteristic uh, that, of him, huh? Uh, yeah, that would not have been a characteristic at all. And 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 honestly, it's it's probably something that um, is created afterwards to to sort of magnify the kind of uh, unique sort of native genius uh, mm-hmm. of the man. Adds but, to the aura. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting how that has happened uh, through the years to, to be the story that's told, though, over absolutely. and over again. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. I, I stand corrected. I'm glad <laughs> glad to know the truth there. Let's go back to sovereignty, God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we touched on that earlier, but his, his attitude um, toward the God who right. directed his steps. Yeah. This is one of the most interesting transformations that Lincoln uh, experiences during the war. If we go back to his first inaugural, he's basically saying um, to the to the country, uh, sort of speaking figuratively to the north and south, and saying, "If if God be on your side of the south or on our side uh, in the north, surely He will show that uh, through the outcome of the political process." Is effectively what he's saying, <laughs> and that's something we simply can't uh, endorse as, as Christians. Yet four years later, in his second inaugural, it's almost impossible to conceive of a more different uh, argument that he's making. Because in that second inaugural, which I think is the single most profound statement by a political president in all of American yeah, history. It's worth reading. I, I really want to encourage our listeners to go read it. Absolutely. It'll take you three minutes, 700 words long. And in it, he effectively says, 
uh, that the Almighty has his own purposes, uh, that both North and South have wished to believe that God was on their side, both have prayed to him, uh, that the prayers of neither have been answered fully. Uh, the Almighty has his own purposes. And that's just a remarkable concession for a public uh, governmental figure to make because what he's saying to a predominantly northern audience uh, when he delivers that address is that what we have been about has not been absolutely equivalent with the the will of God. Mm. It's hard to imagine the tremendous burden on on that man. Uh, the, really, the, the fate of the nation rested with him. And uh, that had to be just something uh, that was so hard to endure for him. Enormous burden. Uh, No crisis, I think, that uh, can come close uh, to be uh, its equivalent. The human cost, uh, the human cost, uh, historians have revised the estimates upward, but uh, now they're saying, claim somewhere between 750 and 800,000 lives. Yeah. But a relative, huge percentage of the population. Relative to our population yeah. today, we're talking about 8 to 9 million. Right. And if you can imagine that kind of uh, human toll uh, and his very real sense that there are decisions before him that, uh, that would determine the outcome possibly of the, of the contest. What other lessons from Lincoln do do you make application to our lives today with our, our faith today? One of the things that, that I find very striking about um, Lincoln that I absolutely endorse from a Christian perspective is that repeatedly uh, in the 1850s on through the Civil War, he is telling uh, audiences uh, that the South is not more evil, uh, that um, in many respects – he would say, if, if I had been in their situation, I don't know what I could have done differently. He, well, he, he shows, had family through his marriage that well, were in that situation. Well, well certainly, he, he himself is Kentucky-born, and his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, has, I think, four brothers in the Confederate service. Mm-hmm. And, and so Lincoln consistently is extending a degree of charity to his enemy that is just almost impossible for us to imagine today. Yeah, yeah. What was his relation to um, men like Jefferson Davis? Prior to the war, they must have served in Congress together or something, right? Well, uh, we remember that, that Lincoln himself doesn't serve very much in Congress. No, he's, he was just the one term and then went home, to, didn't to he? to one term, yeah. so he serves uh, the equivalent of a little over a year because Congress didn't and, serve him. And he was virtually unknown even as a congressman, the, the, I understand. The one uh, Southerner that he very much did enter a developer friendship with um, during his term in Congress was Alexander Stevens, who went on to become the vice president of the Confederacy. Okay. And Lincoln actually corresponds both just before the war break out and at the very end of the war, because I think he hoped that that connection that he had with Stevens might help in some way improve communication and avert a crisis. Mm-hmm. When we read history, like a history of Abraham Lincoln, uh, through eyes of faith today, what should we look for? Well, I, I think how we read uh, biographies of someone like Lincoln is very important. And, and I would just always take us back to uh, the description of the Berean church in, in the book of Acts, which Search is to say yeah. we, we do. We, we want to be open to the idea that we can learn from this figure. That's to, to push back against what Lewis called chronological snobbery. But we do not immediately accept uncritically uh, any kind of lesson from a figure in the past. We always search the, the scripture mm-hmm. uh, and hold it up to that uh, test and affirm where we can and learn where we can. Dr. Tracy McKenzie, professor and chair of the history department at Wheaton College. His blog, Faith and History, provides additional thoughts about thinking Christianly about the American past, and we'll put a link to that blog at firstpersoninterview.com. 
Before we leave today, I'll often mention our partnership with the Far East Broadcasting Company, which helps us make this program possible. Well, now FEBC has a daily audio feature, FEBC Today, and it can be heard online. Each day, Ed Cannon, president of the organization, joins me in the studio to tell the stories of lives transformed by the power of the gospel. For more information, click on the FEBC banner at firstpersoninterview.com. Listen right there online or click more stories to listen to several of our daily visits. Visit firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, we'll talk with Christian apologist Nabil Qureshi. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.